0: Please remain standing for the reading of our gospel lesson this morning. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Hear the words of Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked on and went out, where they said, You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I had never heard the name Fred Craddock until I was in course of study, classes that I had to take to be a local pastor in the Methodist Church. During that time, I heard his name several times, especially in my preaching class. Preacher and teacher, Reverend Fred Craddock, was small in stature, but he was large in the influence he made, especially on pastors, with his personal experiences and his many books. In one of his books, Reverend Craddock tells about being on a flight back when they still had smoking sections on airplanes. He was seated in the aisle seat in the no smoking section. Across from him sat a man who pulled out this long black cigar from his pocket and lit it up. Soon the area was filled with foul-smelling cigar smoke. Craddock stopped the flight attendant, a very attractive young woman, and said to her, Am I in the wrong section? I asked for no smoking. Realizing what he was saying, she said to the man with the cigar, uh, Sir, this is no smoking. He ignored her and kept puffing on his cigar. Craddock complained again. Again, she reminded the man he was in the no smoking section. It did no good, and Craddock was infuriated. Later on during the flight, the flight attendant was coming down the aisle with a tray of drinks. She was right between Craddock and and the man with the cigar when they hit an air pocket. The sudden turbulence caused her to dump the drinks right into the lap of the man with the big cigar. But that's not all. Seeking to correct her balance, this very attractive flight attendant fell backwards, right into Fred Craddock's lap. Says Craddock with a sly grin, and don't tell me there's no God. In his book, Craddock asks the question, wouldn't it be wonderful if life always turned out so neatly that the wrongdoer got what was coming to him or her and the guys in white hats always came out on top? Some burglars broke into the home of a woman named Dee Blythe who lived in Essex, England. After stealing everything of value from her living room, they noticed a plastic bag of powder marked Charlie. Well, Charlie is a street name for cocaine. It was also the name of Dee Blythe's dead dog. In a news report on the crime, Miss Blythe is quoted as saying, it was horrible knowing they were in my home, but the idea of them trying to get high on a dead dog's ashes certainly made me feel a bit better. Sometimes things do sort out even. But at least it seems that more than often, they just do not. Former businessman, por- former business star in the Chrysler Corporation chairman, Lee Coco tells about an incident that happened when he was in the sixth grade. It involved the election of the captain of the student patrol. It was a job he really wanted. He lost by two votes. The next day, one of his classmates pointed out to him that the total number of votes was greater than the number of students in the class. But when Iacoco told his teacher, she simply advised him to let the matter rest. He recalls that it was his first lesson in the fact that life would not always be fair. Although Sam had done nothing wrong, he lost his job on the assembly line. Carelessness in another division led to problems in cars they built. After several crashes made the news, wary customers stopped buying their brand. The company had to downsize, leaving Sam out of work. He was collateral damage. And no, it wasn't fair. It never is. How many times have you and I looked at life and complained, somewhat bitterly, life isn't fair. One of life's lessons that we learn at an early age is that life isn't always fair. It isn't fair that Jesus, the one and only Son of God, who never once, not even once, sinned in his 33 years here on this earth had to die a horrible death on the cross for our sins. Not his sins, but our sins. It isn't fair that medicine that was developed to help us when we are in pain is abused to the extent that it hurts more people than it helps and takes many lives every day, making it difficult for us to get pain medicine when we need it. We just went through a year of family and friends being cut off from their loved ones, some dying completely alone. Talk about life not being fair. And yes, sometimes it seems even God doesn't play fair. Now we all deal with issues or people in our lives that we feel are just unfair to us. There's usually something big and not small When confronted with confusing and unfair life circumstances, we can get angry, or sad, or upset, or bewildered, and those emotions will seep into every corner of our hearts and our lives. That is the danger of feelings of unfairness. Those feelings can grow and dig down deep in our hearts Unfairness can breed anger, resentment, bitterness, envy, self-destructive behaviors, and a whole host of emotions and actions which can only hurt us and the people around us. We often feel like life is completely unfair, and we aren't always sure what God is going to do about it. In our scripture lesson, Jesus did what he does a lot. He told a story. He told a parable about a landowner who went out into the marketplace early in the morning to hire laborers. That's what they did back in his day. Those he hired, he agreed to pay the standard wage for a day's work. Three hours later, he saw that he was going to need more laborers. If the work was going to get done, he returned to the marketplace, hired some more workers. About noon again, he found it necessary to hire more workers than about three o'clock, then again about five. Quitting time was six o'clock. So at six o'clock, he had his foreman line up the laborers to be paid. He began with those who had worked for only one hour, but he paid them a full day. Watching this were those who had worked since six o'clock in the morning. Now, we can only imagine how excited they must have been. Wow, they probably thought to themselves. If he pays a full day's wage for those working just part of a day, just think about how much he's going to pay us. We've been here all day. However, when their time came, they only received the standard wage for one day's work, and they were angry. They had worked all day and were receiving the same amount as those who had worked just one hour. It wasn't fair. It just wasn't fair. But the landowner said to them, didn't I pay you what we had agreed on? If I want to be more generous with these others, is it not my right? Is it not my money to do with as I please? Now that's a hard teaching, particularly when applied to the subject of salvation And it is especially hard teaching to those who have labored in the church since early in life. For them, this may be one of Jesus's most difficult teachings to accept. Is it true? Can a person be an absolute scoundrel right up to the moment of his or her death and then repent, confess Christ as their personal savior and received the gift of salvation, of eternal life in heaven with Jesus, as if he or she had been a saint. That is the way our text for this morning is most often interpreted. Ty Cobb is generally regarded as one of the greatest baseball players of all time. When he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1936, he received the most votes of any player on the ballot. He he is widely credited with setting 90 Major League Baseball records during his career. As of the end of the 2019 season, he still held several records, including the highest career batting average and the most career batting title. He retained many other records for almost half a century or more. However, as most baseball fans know, Ty Cobb was not a nice man. He was an overt racist, and he was mean and surly on the baseball diamond. He would not be on anyone's list for a preferred role model. In 1961, Ty Cobb lay dying. A pastor came by to see Ted's during this difficult time and urged him to repent of his sins and to confess Jesus Christ as his Lord. Cobb looked up from his deathbed and said to the pastor, You're not telling me that a whole life of sin can be done away with with a deathbed repentance, are you? the pastor assured Cobb it could, and then Ty Cobb repented and invited Jesus into his heart. Shortly thereafter, Cobb died, and we can assume he passed comfortably through the pearly gates as if he had been a Sunday school teacher all his adult life. I am sure we all agree that is wonderful, but is it fair? Some important questions arise out of the parable in today's scripture lesson. The first one being, why not go ahead and live a life of sin and wait until the last moment to repent? After all, if you're going to get the same rewards, why not party hardy right up until the last moment? It's a fascinating question. And on the surface, it can be troubling, maybe even intriguing. Why not wait until the end of our life to turn to God. How would you answer such a question? Why not go ahead and live a life of sin and wait until the last moment to repent? Actually, this question is not as difficult to answer as it seems. Not to people who have walked with Christ for any time at all. Now, the question assumes that a life of sin is more desirable than a life of faith. Why else would we be concerned about waiting until the last moment? In an attempt to answer that question, let me ask you another serious question. What would you change about your life if you knew there was no heaven and no hell? Would you be less loving toward your family? Would you cheat on your spouse? Would you be dishonest in your business affairs? I would like to think not. And we may joke about the attractiveness of sin, but deep in our hearts we know that a life of sin leads only to disillusion and destruction of everything that is good and lasting and ultimately satisfying in this world. Writer Hannah Moore once said, no one ever repented on his or her deathbed of being a Christian. And it's true. We're not perfect, but we are wise enough to see that there are certain laws, moral laws and spiritual laws that govern this universe as surely as does the law of gravity. By the grace of God, we do right, not because we fear hell, but because in the long run, it's in our best interest and in the interest of those we love. But there's a second question that arises out of the parable in today's scripture lesson. If God wants to be generous with others, then shouldn't we rejoice rather than complain? Those who had worked in the vineyard all day would not have been dissatisfied with what they had received if they had not compared it with what the others had received. What is there within us that judges our lives not on the basis of what we have received, but on the basis of what we have received in relation to others. Of course, when that gift happens to be the gift of salvation, the principle is even more critical. We who have been saved by grace should rejoice anytime a person receives that grace as well whether they receive it as a child, as a teenager, or as a 98 years of age after a life of total degradation. It doesn't matter when they receive God's grace. It only matters that they receive it. Now here is the truth that all mature Christians understand. None of us deserves the gift of salvation no matter What age we receive it. That's why we sing with so much joy, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. And yes, God's grace is amazing. A righteous God accepts you and me as if we had never done anything wrong in our entire life. God then cleans us up and makes us into a new creation. In Christ. Paul writes about this in his second letter to the church at Corinth, when he writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Another very important question why would anyone want to wait to experience the joy of salvation? William James is usually thought of as the father of American psychology. In his book, Varieties of Religious Experience, written in 1902, James defines conversion as, the process, gradual or sudden, whereby a person who is previously unhappy, inferior or wrong, becomes consciously superior, happy, and right. Who wouldn't want that, to be superior, happy, and right? Now, here's a powerful little secret that the world simply doesn't get. If you've heard anything I've said this morning, remember this. Living for Jesus is the best way in this world to live. Trust me, I know, because I've lived both ways, without Jesus and with Jesus, and there's no comparison. So the question isn't, why not wait until the end and enjoy our sin? No, the question is, wouldn't it be stupid to live our lives in emptiness and despair when Christ can come into our lives and give us meaning and purpose and even joy right now, today? One of the regrets that I live with is all the years I wasted without God at the center of my life, Serving him, seeking his will, and trying to do that which pleases him rather than myself. Dr. Tom Long tells about a young boy who many years ago was a great fan of Captain Kangaroo and Mr. Rogers. The boy faithfully watched both of these television shows. Then one day it was announced that Mr. Rogers would be paying a visit to the Captain Kangaroo show. The boy was ecstatic. Both of his heroes together on the same show. Every morning the the boy would ask his mom, is it today that Mr. Rogers will be on Captain Kangaroo? Finally the great day arrived, and the whole family gathered around the television. There they were, Mr. Rogers and Captain Kangaroo together. The boy watched for a minute, but then surprisingly he got up and wandered from the room. Puzzled, his father followed him and asked, What is it, son? Is anything wrong? The boy replied, It's too good. It's just too good. That's how we ought to feel about the message of God's grace. Not that it's ever unfair, but that it is incomprehensibly good. It doesn't matter when. We come to God. It can be as a child, a teenager, a young adult, or someone on their deathbed. No, it doesn't matter when. It just matters that we come. Each one of us has to deal with unfair situations. Each one of us has to deal with unfair people. Unfairness is something that is an active part of life since sin entered into the Garden of Eden. Minister and author Andy Stanley once said, Fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. Daily, unfairness creeps into our lives or is thrust upon us, and we have to deal with it. As believers who are seeking an authentic relationship with God, we must deal with unfairness as Jesus would. And we should all be thankful when someone receives the gift of salvation, no matter the age. Was it fair that the workers who worked all day long were paid the same as those who only worked an hour? In our eyes, no, it was not. And is it fair that those who accept Christ on their deathbed receive the same reward of eternal life in heaven as those who have lived for Christ their entire lives? To us humans, maybe not. But those who have lived their lives serving God have been blessed with a good life. So we should rejoice rather than complain about deathbed conversions. No, life isn't always fair. If life was always fair, if everything always worked out the way we wanted, then we wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need him there with us, taking care of us. But, God is good. He is always with us. So, life is good, even when it is unfair, when we have Christ in our hearts and in our lives. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for this message today. And Lord, no, life is not always fair. But we don't have to deal with it by ourselves. You're there with us to help us work through it, to forgive, let it go, and move on. And we just pray that you will continue to walk with us in the days ahead as we continue on this journey of life with you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.